0: Welcome to What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including YouTube channels for the Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, and now at radindimedia.com and under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Colombia and Venezuela, Brother Nations Reunite, and I'm so happy to have today to introduce to all of you, those of you who are watching on the Convo Couch met Dan earlier this week, but for the rest of you, here is my friend Dan Kovalik talking to us live from Moscow, and we're so thankful to have your time, Dan. I'm <laughs> just really, really pleased and pleased to have you back on our show. I wanna, um, let me tell the audience a little bit about you. This is an impressive resume, everyone, so so listen up. Um, Dan is an American lawyer and human rights advocate who currently teaches international human rights at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. From 1993 until 2019, he served as in-house counsel for the United Steelworkers. While with the United Steelworkers, he worked on Alien Tort Claims Act cl- cases against the Coca-Cola company, Drummond, and Occidental Petroleum with cases arising out of egregious human rights abuses in Colombia. Dan is the recipient of the David W. Mills Mentoring Fellowship from Stanford University School of Law, as well as the Project Censor Award for his article exposing unprecedented killing of trade unionists in Colombia. He has written extensively on the issue of international human rights and US foreign policy, including several books, one of which is The Plot to Overthrow Venezuela How the US is Orchestrating a Coup for Oil. So you can see that Dan's like the perfect person for us to have to talk with this evening. So I also wanna mention to all of you um, that Dan is a Senior Research Fellow with the Council on Hemispheric Affairs, um, also known as COHA, C-O-H-A, and COHA is a broadcast partner of this program. So before um, I have Dan uh, share with us what happened last week in Caracas, um, let me give all of you a little bit of background. Colombian President Gustavo Petro and Venezuelan President Nicolás Maduro met in Venezuela's capital of Caracas on Tuesday, November 1, two months after formally reestablishing diplomatic relations and a month after resuming trade between the two neighboring countries. This is uh, three months after the inauguration of Gustavo Petro, which was 5 August. This was the first time that Petro and Maduro met since the mending of bilateral relations in late August. It was a historic meeting as it marked further strengthening of the diplomatic ties between Colombia and Venezuela which got increasingly worse with the intensification of attacks against Venezuela by the United States and the support for this campaign uh, by far-right Colombian President Ivan Duque. Colombia and Venezuela officially broke diplomatic relations in February of 2019 after Duque, after then President Duque, recognized the US backed self proclaimed president uh, Juan Guaido as Venezuela's legitimate leader. And Dan, you and I were in Venezuela uh, shortly after all that happened. Right, <laughs> in
1: February, right. February, March of
0: 2019. So everyone here is, uh, I want you all to welcome Dan Kovalec live from Moscow. And um, maybe Dan, we should start with why, um, a little bit of historical context for the audience to what this relationship between Venezuela and Colombia is. Because both governments, presidents, ambassadors, and citizens um, refer to each other as brothers. And this is a really important historical uh, fact to understand why they refer to each other that way.
1: Yeah, well, because the region, uh, the Andean region there, is, you know, they consider themselves a unified peoples, right? That Spain divided up um, arbitrarily. And that Simón Bolívar, the great liberator, wanted to reunite, right? So he helped liberate Venezuela, Colombia, and Ecuador, and what are the other countries? Maybe Peru. But what as well is now from, Peru?
0: Bolivia?
1: Yeah, yeah, Bolivia from Spanish reign. Yeah, And also what and is that now was a success. Panama. Right. But, well, because Panama was part of Colombia. At that exactly. Time. <laughs> well, that's, right. a nother <laughs> that's a whole other coup story there. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but what he wasn't able to do ultimately was his dream of unifying all those countries, right? Which into we know a is greater Colombia, yeah. Yeah. And so you know, colombian Venezuela, in particular, I'd say of all those countries, really looked to Bol- Bolivar as their spiritual leader, right? And so you know, when you go to Venezuela, of course, it's the Bolivarian republic of of venezuela right and the bones of bolivar are there you can visit you know his remains there but in colombia they also you know um have a reverence for him they have uh in fact gustavo petro uh was inaugurated in plaza bolivar Mm -hmm. in bogota and as as you know i know you know this um and i was there i was there at the i know i forgot to tell the audience so that this yes well, i was there in, and to he, the inauguration on 5 august paused the inauguration for about 15 to 20 minutes while the sword of bolivar was gathered from the museum and taken to the inaugural stage right this was a huge political act right
0: And and he was denied, Petra was denied that by the outgoing president.
1: Well, and the military opposed it, but he
0: did it anyway.
1: So it It was his first
0: executive order.
1: (laughs) It really was. He says, by order ordered the the sword of Bolivar brought here, by the way, I should mention that when he was in the M-19 guerrilla group, they had stolen the the sword of Bolivar out of the museum, saying that it would be restored when Colombia was truly free. Uh, But they did give it back, you know, when they signed a peace deal with the government. So that was a little back, very interesting back. You know, that's a
0: whole, I think that 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 whole Bolivar sword is a whole episode that we should do in and of itself. Just the whole history of that sword. Yeah. But you understand that
1: Bolivar is very important to those two countries. And again, his dream was to reunite this whole region as one nation, right? One country. And for years, it's been anything but united, particularly Colombia and Venezuela have been, you know, incredibly divided because under Chavez, you know, with his presidency beginning in 1999, I guess he was elected in 98, became president in 99. You know, he went a very independent path from the United States. And again, under the constitution that he he uh, initiated the referendum and the constitutional assembly that gave birth to the new constitution, under that constitution, it's the people approved in Venezuela, it was renamed the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, right?
0: Which is the Meanwhile,
1: fifth republic. What's that? Venezuela. It's the fifth republic
0: of Venezuela, yeah. this constitution they're working with now.
1: Meanwhile, next door in Colombia, It was being run, uh, well, really beginning in 2002, I guess, by thugs, you know, by right-wing thugs, beginning with Alvaro Uribe, who were, one, very much connected to the United States, but also to right-wing death squads in Venezuela. And at that, you know, so from 2002 up until Petro's, you know, inauguration as president, Colombia really eschewed their Bolivarian roots, Mm -hmm. right? That was not something they were striving for. They were striving to be like the 51st state of the United States, and they became a partner of NATO. They're the only Mm -hmm. partner of NATO in Latin America or the Caribbean, right? So-
0: And that's the key word. Caribbean and NATO is North Atlantic (laughs) Treaty. organization exactly I mean, it's pretty,
1: yeah and of course colombia also has a pacific border as well um yeah. Yeah. and you know so during this period in the in the 2000s um venezuela and colombia could not have been at more odds and and there were border disputes and there were border incursions particularly by the colombian military and paramilitary forces into venezuela and uh, the Venezuelan government with, you know, evidence claimed that Colombian paramilitaries engaged in assassination attempts of Nicolas Maduro, in successful assassinations of some other politicians. Um, so things have been very bad at that border between Colombia and Venezuela. And it all came to a head in 2019, of course, when Trump recognized Juan Guaido and they had this kind of, you know, pretense of a humanitarian aid shipment between Colum- a bridge between Colombia and Venezuela. And then, you know, the Colombian side set those um, uh, aid trucks on fire and blamed Venezuela for it. So this was, and then the the borders were shut down for a time between Colombia and Venezuela. So. Uh, now, Petro comes to power, and again he 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 symbolically wields the sword of Bolivar. He didn't take it out of the case; that would have been awesome. He left it in the case in front of him, but he did wield it in a certain way. And now, and then he opened the border with Venezuela, right? Very quickly, he recognized Venezuela, recognized Nicaragua, recognized Cuba, which his predecessor had. No. refused to do right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now he's met with maduro and
0: uh now they're they exchanged ambassadors very rapidly quickly too yeah, like very quickly. The first week yeah with
1: all those three countries i just mentioned yeah. right
0: and then he's now
1: met with maduro and they're now working towards at least more economic integration uh between the two countries more border um openness so this is a huge huge thing i mean it's very exciting i'm very excited about it um no one thought this was possible on the colombian side for a long time i mean colombia seems sewn up by the right wing and petro comes in you know and uh he's mixing stuff up so that's all good all to the good
0: Last uh, week, so this was November 1st, and um, the timing was crucial because they clearly waited until after the election results in Brazil, which was appropriate, (laughs) and give Brazil its moment. And then- uh, Which also
1: shares a border with Venezuela. Yes,
0: a very, a large one, a very large one as well. Very large, yeah. Yeah. I think the border with Colombia and Venezuela is 2,000 miles, 2,000 plus miles, is that about right? That's right. and and even longer with Brazil. So last week, um, a few of the things that Petro and Maduro talked about were uh, stabilizing the opening of the border, ex- continuing to expand trade, and also working on the immigration issue between the two countries. And they also talked about, with the urging of Gustavo Petro, uh, about climate change. And yeah. um, since then, COPE 27 has started in Egypt, I think November 6th, the 6th through the 18th of November. And I noticed in yesterday's news that it, um, Nicolas Maduro spoke about the Amazon, which was extraordinarily encouraging. And Gustavo Petro made a great talk uh, also at COPE 27 how climate change is not going to be solved by the capitalist system it's the capitalist system that created or has at least exacerbated climate change so that was really wonderful to see the two of them really more or less speak in a united front uh, for the amazon and, and for the andes and i would say for latin america and the global south as a whole and um so with this reuniting of these two brother nations, this reopening of diplomatic relations and more, what, how, how does this play out for the rest of the Americas in your opinion?
1: Well, look, I just think this is part of an overall trend. You, may, you mentioned Lula being you know, elected in Brazil, reelected after many years, um, and elections in uh, Bolivia, Peru, Chile, to a lesser extent, um, Nicaragua. I mean, all of Latin America is shifting to the left and to independence from the United States and challenging the Monroe Doctrine. And I think that, yeah, Colombia is a big piece in that puzzle. And Colombia and Venezuela, you know, working together to do that is a huge piece in that puzzle. And again it will be bol- uh, bolstered and it will be buoyed by the election of lula in brazil so i think you will see latin america more and more go its independent path uh AMLO in mexico as well remember he refused to um send a, you know himself or um you know any high-ranking officials to the summit of the americas because that because biden um, you know, banned Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela from that, you know, so you see more and more independent acts. Uh, in Longo the was
0: such a huge uh, voice this time, well, September of last year, when he reconvened the Salak uh, summit after a four-year pause and really articulating from here in Mexico City, where I'm talking to all of you from, um, regional integration, and that uh, for the audience, that entire five-hour Salak summit can be viewed on YouTube, and it's really worth watching because, um, I don't know, 32 of the 35 Salak members, Salak is all of Latin America and the Caribbean, with the exception of US and Canada, they were never invited to join. This was a project, of, project vision of Hugo Chavez as well. <laughs> and. Um, but that whole integration of the Americas was the prevalent, predominant theme of last year's Salat Summit, and it did include um, agreement with even some of the right-wing governments like Ecuador, that the regional integration, working as a region, a united region, it, it certainly, at least economically, is is the dream, and it right. isn't necessarily exclusive of the America of, of the United States. That there, as AMLO is so good, and I do think Petro is is key to this as well, is making sure the United States, both of them, are very clear about making sure the United States knows there is room for its participation, but the United States participation is going to depend on the United States evolution in in recognizing national sovereignty and in recognizing uh national you know sovereign nations as equals right yeah and i don't know that that evolution is possible in this moment at the states among young people i think it clearly is among the current government of the states i'm not sure that it is but that's going to be key it isn't necessarily you know let's move forward without the u.s there are these overtures from both Olmow and and also from from Gustavo Petro to include the U.S., assuming the U.S. is capable of evolving.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, no, of course, that's always been the case. I mean, um, people have to understand that when if, when you look at some of these uh, Caribbean countries, in particular, like Venezuela like Cuba, like Nicaragua, you know, they have more in common with the U.S. than they do with, say, Russia or China. They like baseball more than they like soccer.
0: They like the colonial sport. (laughs) I mean, um, they just as, you know, uh,
1: they would just as well want to be dealing with the U.S. They feel a certain simpatico with the United States. And the American people, you know, but as you say, only if the U.S. is willing to be one of many nations amongst equals and deal with them with respect. And that's what they've made very clear. You know, you want to come to us with respect and we're, you know, we're equals, then
0: we'll deal with you. Otherwise, you know, not. We're moving on without you. And they clearly yeah. are. The evolution is in place. It, it has been born and it is growing rapidly. And I agree with you. It's really, really exciting to see what's unfolding. Um, you mentioned the Caribbean and Cuba. Um, let's talk about uh, Cuba uh, Cuba and Colombia's relationship, ex- particularly regarding um, the peace accords and how uh, Petro has reached out to the Cubans to uh, re-establish those negotiations. What, what's happening with that?
1: Well, if you're talking about the peace accords between the Colombian government and the guerrillas, yes.
0: Fidel Castro
1: and Hugo Chavez of Venezuela played a key role in sponsoring those talks that led to a peace deal between the the Colombian government and the FARC guerrillas, the biggest and oldest uh, guerrilla movement, not just in Colombia, but I think maybe in the world. Uh, But there still are the ELN guerrillas out there. So um, Petro wants to make a deal with them. And again, the Cubans are are there ready to help with that.
0: And the uh, Petro has uh, requested and he has accepted for President Maduro to negotiate on behalf of the ELN to represent the ELN at the negotiating table. Is that correct?
1: That is correct as well.
0: Yeah. So and so Venezuela way, and Cuba
1: will both play key roles in the negotiations.
0: Which is nece- which is necessary. I mean, all yeah. parties need to be at that table for it to be effective and and a lasting peace. I would think.
1: Yeah, and especially because the ELN does sometimes take refuge within Venezuela, right? So, <laughs> yeah. to be yeah. totally truthful, so yeah, 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 it's important that the Venezuelan government be a part of all that.
0: Let's talk about. Um, I just want to, since we're talking about the the Colombian peace accords in Cuba, I think for our audience, there's one thing um, happening now. Well, it actually happened last year, but on the heels of the U.N. vote to uh, condemn the U.S. blockade on Cuba, which was last week, uh, Thursday the 3rd, I believe, 182 nations voted to condemn the U.S. blockade on Cuba. Two voted against it, U.S. and Israel, and two abstained, one being uh, Brazil, and I forget the other that abstained, Ukraine. Um, but Last year, Cuba, and this is a little bit of a digression for the audience, but this is also why it's so important that Colombia is reestablishing um, the peace accords and the negotiations that last year, uh, or during the Trump administration, excuse me, uh, Cuba was put on the state sponsor terrorism list, because after the first, was it 2016, Dan, the first peace of Colombian peace accords that Havana Uh, sponsored. Several um, of the guerrillas remained in Cuba, and because they are still there, that was how the U.S. State Department finagled the, the state sponsor of terror designation on Cuba, which is devastating for Cuba because that means aside from a terrible sanctions regime, now as a state sponsor of terror, they cannot can participate in any way, shape, or form in the international uh, finance or marketplace.
1: No, and it, it, it becomes very difficult for Americans to support Cuba because you're supporting yeah. a terrorist. Exactly. A designated terrorist organization, which is illegal. It's criminally illegal. So, uh, yeah.
0: So this is, um, do you have any idea how the Colombian... Government, the new government is what its position is on that, or how to fin- yeah, how, how to work around those people, uh, still those Colombians still being in Havana. It, it's very complicated. Well, I mean, it's a catch twenty-two, really.
1: Yeah, for the Cuba. I think so. I mean, I'm not. I don't know the details. What I do know is Petro is a very careful person, a very pragmatic person, and I'm sure he will work. To you know, do workarounds, but in a way that does not provoke the U.S. It's very clear that he's acting in a way so as not to protect, uh, provoke the United States. Yeah, because if the U.S. turned on him in a big way, um, they could destroy him. I mean, they they have the U.S. is very embedded with the Colombian military and paramilitaries. And Petro knows this, so he's in a very precarious position. So, whatever he does, he's going to tread lightly doing
0: well. And for the audience, there are seven now eight and eighth under construction U.S. military bases in Colombia. So, right. I mean, yeah. So, here you are a president of a sovereign nation with you know your neighbor to the north having all these military bases in your own country. So, yeah, it's it is it's somewhat precarious for him. And, and you so, could say, oh, well, he
1: should just keep kick the U S out. But how do you do that? They're a weaker seven. one base would be some one thing, but seven is a right. whole another. Yeah. I think it's, it's tough. It's tough for him, you know, and I give him a lot of leeway, um, to do that, you know, because I think he's, he's in a tough position.
0: Right. Let's, um, can you just share before I let you go? Cause I know it's very, very late in Moscow and I am so thankful you, uh, you made time to talk with us today can you share with the audience some of your work in Colombia because you have such an impressive and fascinating resume and your human rights and labor rights uh, work in Colombia for for so many years is is significant. And um, is there hope now uh, with with the new government that a lot of the things that you've been working on, the, the human rights abuses, the labor rights abuses, to the point, I mean, you've worked with people who have been under the threat of assassination. Yes. Is there hope now that this is gonna change or, how do you, yes, know, how do you is. see all that unfolding? So I've been working
1: in Colombia since 1999 and I've been working with, yes, labor organizations, also Afro-Columbian organizations. You know, and these are some of the most oppressed peoples in Columbia, in, you know, uh, in addition to indigenous peoples. I've also worked with. Um, and I think that, yes, there is hope for all those folks and there is hope for the violence against them to decline. At the same time, people have to understand, you know, Colombia has a military with a mind of its own. Um,
0: Unlike the Venezuela
1: military that works for the people. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, yeah. Like after the coup against Chavez in two thousand and two, he thoroughly vetted and purged that military, right? And now they're all loyalists. That's true in Nicaragua. That's true in Cuba. It is not true in Colombia. In fact, I've compared or contrasted Petro with Salvador Allende. You know, Salvador Allende, who was overthrown in a coup in nineteen seventy three, by a you know a general, general, general Pinochet, uh, with the U.S. backing. He at least had a couple loyal generals like Letelier, right, who was killed in Washington in 1976. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if Gustavo Petro has one loyal general. I mean, that he is now, you know, he is starting behind the eight ball. So I do think change is going to come to Colombia, but it's going to be slow, and it's going to require Petro to navigate. Um, you know the military, the paramilitary death squads that work with the with the military and the United States. They hold a lot of cards in Colombia, and um, so he's going to need all the solidarity he can get to do that. And that means for Americans, in terms of our solidarity, pressuring our own government to stop supporting, para, you know, the paramilitary organizations in Colombia really to stop funding the military, right? Which is a reactionary yeah. force in Colombia, right. And instead to do, you know, development funding and funding of other peaceful projects. So, um, but I do have some optimism. I do, that uh, the change can come.
0: Well, I think that's like, it's it's such a hope for all of South America, well, Latin America as a whole. But this is so uh with Colombia specifically being such that historically, being such the U.S. base, literally and then politically, economically and militarily, the U.S. base in South America and the Caribbean. That to see what is possible now is really really exciting, and the the reparation, the repairing of relations with Venezuela is is one part of that, but super, but so huge, symbolically, economically, politically, and hopefully for integration and peace for the region. It's just huge. And it's very, very exciting. Very, very exciting. So what else should we share with the audience before I let you go? I promised you 30 minutes and we're like on 42 minutes now. So
1: Well, I would just say people need to keep paying attention to Latin America, which is the point of your whole show. And I do think Latin America is the hope for the world. I've thought that for a long, long time. I still think yeah. it, and I, and of course now that that hope and faith has been you know just reaffirmed, you know, by recent mm-hmm. events. And I think in the case of Colombia, people need to be patient with Petro. He he really has a lot to confront. He's not always going to. Um, he may disappoint people at times because he's gonna have to make compromises, but I do think his heart's in the right place. you know I know Petro I've known him for I know
0: year. I know that's how you got invited to the inauguration yeah So <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. faith in, yeah
1: faith in Petro and I think other people should too so but I, I do think there's a lot of hope in Latin America and we need to keep keep hope alive as Jesse Jackson used to say We need so, to
0: keep supporting that yeah
1: absolutely
0: that's our job. That. No. right okay everyone I just want uh, I want you all to just give Dan a huge thank you for joining us from Moscow it's like midnight there I think for you so again I'm so thankful for you joining us and you know just on a personal note you're like one of the first people that got me so focused on on the Bolivarian revolution early on you were plugged into that you know in the very early early days of chavismo and you were a great you know inspiration for me to to uh get involved and explore all of that too and it's been it's been a yeah it's been quite a ride wow the last 20 years (laughs) watching all of this unfold and now really leading to something very very constructive for the americans yeah absolutely Yeah, so. Okay, everyone, thank you for joining us. Thank you, um, Dan. I just want to remind all of you, you've been watching What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean. We are a weekly broadcast of popular resistance. You can watch us on YouTube live every Thursday, 730 p.m. Eastern, 430 p.m. Pacific, on the Convo Couch YouTube channel, the Popular Resistance YouTube channel, and Code Pink YouTube Live as well. So we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much, everyone.